So we're going to be talking about everyone is a sinner this morning. We're, we're not talking about everyone is a sinner. This, this is hopefully going to be really uplifting. And hopefully, I, I pray that you're encouraged as well. We've been in this topic of purpose and talking about that, that God has a call on each and every one of our lives. And we're not coming to church on Sunday morning to fill a quota and to check off our box that, yes, we attended church and that we've met our, our, our quota for a spiritual life, but we think that there is a call on every single one of your lives, as, as engaged you as you are or as non-engaged as you are, what, whatever you might think about that or that you don't think about that, we believe that God has a powerful call on each and every one of your lives. And the desire of our hearts is to see each and every one of us fully realize that to the best of our ability as we can to encourage, to push, and to equip you forward into that thing that God has called you for. We do not think that there's a couple of people that can come up like the Jake and Kelsey's and myself that are the ones that do ministry. The hour and a half that we have together is such a small piece of our time and our heart is burning with the desire to see this, this city transformed in its pockets. Wherever you are, there should be transformation because you have a God inside of you that can move mountains. And we believe that that doesn't happen just while we gather here, although I think there's significant things that can happen here in our hearts. I believe that happens when you go home. I believe that happens when you're, when, when you're at your workplace. I believe that happens when you're at the grocery store. I believe that is when transformation happens. That is when people are able to be engaged by the body of Christ. This is our corporate gathering to worship, to hear from the word. But our mission is everywhere else. We should be even more engaged even when we're not here. That's when we're on mission. Amen? There is a powerful call on each and every one of your lives. And that's the thing that is, that is burning inside of us. We want to get away from doing religious things to being those religious things. We, we're the living sacrifice. We don't sing so we feel better about ourselves. We don't read the Bible so that we, we can... It's not a self-help book. We believe there's a God that can transform people, and places, and things. Amen? That is why we're here. That is what we want to, we want to encourage. And so that's, that's some of the topic, just to give some context for where we are. This morning, the, the sermon title is, is Purpose Has a Name. Purpose Has a Name. And so, as I was thinking, like I said, my, my wife and I, we are in the child-rearing stage of our lives. We've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And uh, I'll see if I can convince her to think of any more children, but I don't know. But, have, you know, when, when you start to think about having kids, it's like the nicest idea. You know, like if you think about it, it seems like such a wonderful idea. And, and, it, and it's more wonderful in, in reality, and, and I'm not going to say it's, it's not. But when you start, when you think about, so say you start dating someone, and, and, and I don't know when the topics come up for you. Maybe it's after you get engaged, or I don't know the seriousness level that before you start talking about kids. But you, you might start talking about Dan and Mel are sitting over there. They've probably, they, they're engaged. They've probably talked about kids way too early. But you start thinking about having kids, and it's the nicest idea. And then you start throwing out names. You're like, oh, I'd like Tommy. Little Billy Shaniqua, you know, I don't, I don't know what names you consider are good names or are not good names. But, but there is something about 
that there's this excitement that starts to build when you start to think about maybe the, the kids that you're going to have and the legacy that you're going to leave. I mean, even as a young person, uh, before you even have someone, you, you maybe toy with the idea of, man, having kids one day might be a great thing. And on Mother's Day, we want to honor the moms in here as well. But then when, when you actually get pregnant and you start to really think about names then, and you start to really think about what are we going to name Shaniqua or whatever it is going to be, right? What are we really going to name them? And then you can leave the idea, though, because pregnancy takes quite a long time. It's nine months. And, and maybe you come back to it a little bit later and, and you come back and it's still this really exciting thing. It's this, this really nice idea that you have. But this is where I'm going with it. Once, once you have the baby in front of you and the baby's born... And, and, and they're given their, their, their final name. And I know sometimes it takes parents even a couple days sometimes to name them. Once they see the baby, they just want to see, is this the right name for them? You don't just have a nice idea anymore. You actually have a person that's there that's, that's not going to go away. Believe me, they don't go away. You, you can now no longer just leave that idea and come back to it because that person has a name and they're living in your house and and using all of your resources, right? But that that person is there. That person is not going away. That that idea has now become something that that is there, that is not going to go away. And this morning, I want to talk about the idea that purpose has a name. And so the the first major point or key point I wanted to talk to you about this morning is this idea of turning your what into who? Turning your what into who? So before, before we turn the what into the who, that might not even make sense if we say it too many times, is I want you to identify just, and, and honestly, I want you to do the best that you can to identify what is your what. What, what do you think your purpose is? And you don't have to answer out loud. I, I, I want you to try and give yourself an answer of that. It's a hard question. I think it's a multifaceted question. I don't think you can put it in a couple of words, even though I'm trying to ask you to, to do that. But what is your purpose? And this could be maybe your passion. What are you passionate about? What, we've talked a little bit about dreams before. What dreams do you have on your life? I'm, I want you to open up to any of those kinds of things. What is your purpose? Just get something in your mind. Even, even if you think you have a bunch of different things that you're, you want to achieve or that, that you think God created you to do, and it's not necessarily just things that we do, but God created us to be things, I think, as well. But just get something in your mind in that regard. And I just want you to hold on to that for a little while. So I want to go to, very quickly, the story of Samson. We're all pretty familiar with the story of Samson. Well, at least, even if we're not, he's a really strong guy in the Bible, right? Samson was born in a time when Israel was oppressed by a group of people called the Philistines. When he was, before he was born, an angel of the Lord came to Samson's mom and he said, your son is going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be set apart for me. I don't want you to cut his hair and I don't want you to drink wine. And there was these different things that, that he had to do and he was going to be really, really strong. And he said, I'm going to use Samson to save my people Israel to save my people Israel. So Samson was born, and it says that he grew up, and he, and he was strengthened in the Lord, and the Lord started to stir his spirit. And we know, we know Samson's story, right? 
I mean, there was, he tore apart a lion at one time, and he, he, he killed a whole bunch of people with the jawbone of a donkey. But Samson had a weakness, and his weakness was women. And he, he had a lot of different women that he, um, that he became involved with. And it was, it's, it's quite, a, uh, quite a story that Samson has. And it usually didn't end well for him. His choice of women was oftentimes, um, usually not from his people, but from the people that they were, Israel was being oppressed by. And I want to fast forward in this story to Samson and Delilah. I'm sure we're, we're all, we've heard Samson and Delilah a lot of times, maybe. And Delilah is, she's bribed to try and get the, the secret to Samson's strength because he's been such a pain in the neck to the Philistine people. And she's Philistine. And, and so she continually is, 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 is trying to get from him, Samson, you don't love me. Tell me what's going on. And, it said, and, and Samson told him, Samson told her a couple of lies. The sitcom gets, gets deeper. And, and whatever he told her, the people did. You would think that Samson would catch on, that he's telling her the secrets to what's happening, and he's waking up, and those things are happening. It's just, I, I can't wrap my head around what's going on in Samson's head. But the interesting thing is, the Bible says that Samson's soul was vexed to death that she was asking him so many times to give him the secret. And he finally gives her the secret. And I just wanted to read this out to you. And this is Samson. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson told her all his heart. And he said, if you shave my head, I'm going to be weak and I'm going to lose my strength. The thing that I want to just point out in this story as we're opening up this topic this morning. Is I think Samson in this case was such a classic case of someone that was stuck in the what and not the who. And I'll tell you what I mean. When he was asked to divulge what the secret to his strength was, he was locked into this idea that he was strong for the purpose of being strong. When he was given the the prophecy by the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord told him this, and I'm just going to read it out to you. He said, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. There wasn't one mention of Samson being strong when the angel of the Lord came to him. What am I getting at? Samson's strength had nothing to do with what he was called to do. And yet, when he was asked to give the secret to what was going on and to share all his heart, he said, shave my head and I'm going to lose my strength. It's not for the purpose of being strong that Samson was strong. It's not for status or to get the ladies. But it was to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. When he was asked, what's going on? What, tell me why you have this strength. He didn't go to the reason of why he had his strength. And the reason of why he had his strength was to save the people of Israel. 
You can be mightily anointed from God and you can have a call on your life where you can shift things and you can move things. But if you don't understand that you've been given that for some, somebody, it's not just for yourself or even for whatever else you might think. I just, I was so struck by this, this, this idea that when Samson was told, when, when he was telling Delilah why he had the strength, he didn't. He didn't have any mention that the whole purpose of why he was created was to save Israel. He was so disconnected from the whole reason of why he had the strength in the first place. Our talents, our giftings, our abilities are for somebody. He was so stuck in the fact that he was strong that he gave the secret to his strength without connecting it all to why he was strong. This morning... I want us to consider that purpose has a name. I want to take this idea that purpose is this really nice thing, and that thing that you were thinking about, when I asked you what is your purpose, or even one element of your purpose, I now want you to start trying to think on, if I can get you to reflect on any of this, anything this morning, it would be to connect with who is your purpose for. We cannot let purpose and dreams remain a really nice idea that we can leave when we want to, and that we can come back to it, and we have these robust conversations with maybe our friends or our home group or our church, or, hey, wouldn't it be so cool if we did this, this, and this? Wouldn't it be awesome if, if we were able to outwork this? And then what happens is we can leave that idea, just like when you're, you're, about to, you're, you're thinking about baby names. You can leave them if you don't actually have a baby there. I want you to name your purpose this morning. And I'm going to try and help unpack that a little bit to get more specific, to give purpose not just a name in general, but we're going to try and get a little bit more specific. Without the who, our dreams and purpose are just really, really nice ideas. I love this quote from Chris Valentin. The people around us awaken the destiny dormant within us. If we find our people, we will discover our destiny. Second point it's just the, the title of the name, Naming Purpose. The first point that I really want to encourage, if I could encourage anything, I want to encourage this. The who, the people that you're going to name, they're already in your life. It's not someone, someday, somewhere. It's the people that are in your life right now. It's the people that you're sitting next to. When I had you have a good look at the person next to you, I think we compartmentalize how God's going to work, when he's going to work, and, and with what modality he's going to work. Do you ever take a vacation at times? When I took my vacation recently, I checked out of my calling. I really did. I wanted to have fun. I wanted this to be a time where it was like low-key and there was no distractions and no disruptions. In my vacation, there was more disruptions than I've ever had in my life. My whole point is this. You're who you're sitting next to. You're who you're sitting next to in the bus. You're who is at home. If I, We were talking about uh, the idea of, I mean, I, we can use even my role as an example, somebody that's hopefully sharing the word of God. If I'm not sharing the word of God with my kids at home, I shouldn't be sharing the word of God with anyone else. If God has called you to be, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a generic thing of, if he's called you to, 
to be a reconciler, to, to help reconcile relationships, or you just feel there's something on your life where you can come in and you can help people kind of come together, well, then the relationships in your life should reflect that. If God has called you to be an evangelist, my hope is that you would start with the people that are around you first and not hope for strangers to come see the Lord. If your hope is for healing, then, then start with the people that are around you. There's not a certain segment where God's going to say, hey, here's a five-minute window where you can pray for a stranger and impart healing to them. He's wanting you to impart healing to the person that's been sick, that's been at home for 20 years. Amen? The who is already in your life. It's not someone, somewhere, someday. They're right here. I was thinking about the worship team this morning as we're praying. It can be so easy as, as you're trying to lead something. First and foremost, they're not leading you guys. They're leading one another. You can't, you can't not lead the people that you're working with either. What I want to get to you today is that the who is such a personal thing, and we always think it's someone else. It's not the person right in front of us. It's always, I'm working to achieve this thing. So, so even if we talk about it in here, what are we after as a church right now? What I've already said, we want to see people brimming with the purposes of God. We want to see people outworking the call of God on their life, not necessarily here on a Sunday morning, although we'd love that on a Sunday morning, but out there. Now, if that's brimming for us, then we can't just say, I hope somebody out there is going to catch that message. It's, no, I hope Yodi catches that message. And that when I'm in contact with Yodi, what can I do to encourage him on his God-given purposes? The who is right near us. My heart is on fire this morning for the idea that we cannot keep missing opportunities of God putting each other in our lives. When I connect with anyone in any sphere, that's because God has put me in their life. And I want to do everything I can to outwork the purposes of God in my life through them. I don't want to hold back my purpose from anyone. I want to be purpose-filled and purpose-driven in every single interaction that I have. When you walk in on a Sunday morning and you say hello to people, how easy is it to try and get through maybe your token hellos to the person you really want to talk to? Maybe one of those token hellos is somebody that needs a word from you. We have to break out of a religious mindset. And I'm not saying the church, but anybody can have a religious mindset that you just do things to do them. But there is God-inspired opportunities in every person-to-person interaction. It's not about what. It's not about the task that you have in mind. It's not about any of those things. It's the who of who you're involved with. That team that you're involved in in church, you guys are planning and you're getting frustrated with one another and you're just saying, I wish we could plan this. You have who right in front of you. Work with that who right there and start encouraging each other in purpose. And you're going to find probably the outcome of where you go is going to be so different. You're wanting to outwork your purpose that God has birthed in your life. And you're frustrated because you don't have an outlet of that. And yet you have a family at home. A question I wrote down in my notes that Angie told me to put, so I didn't want to put it. She said, why don't you say, why is it not enough? Why is it not enough for you? 
If you're frustrated and you want outworking of your purpose, can I encourage you, if you talk to people, if you have a relationship with anyone, you have an opportunity to outwork your purpose. There is no one limiting you by anything right now. What we want to do is we want to kick down the walls of our expectation that purpose has to find itself in a five-minute little window where you're endorsed by who knows what. I want to encourage you. Can I give you license to outwork your purpose with every single person you come into contact with? If you're sitting next to, if Pete and Carrie are sitting next to each other, they should be outworking their purpose right now. Amen. My heart is heavy for the fact that we have compartmentalized our religion. We've compartmentalized how and when God can work. He works on the basketball court. He works at your work. He's working all the time. When he can't work through you is when you're closed down to him working through you. It's not about what. It's not about the dreams that you have. I was, I was talking with someone recently about an initiative that they were in. And they, they, they told me that their mission was this, that they were wanting to achieve this. And then they mentioned to me some of the problems that were, were coming up and preventing them from working out their mission. And I was able to hopefully talk through that the problems that they were working through had just as much significance of helping them walk in the purpose that they were having, equipping them to do certain things than the actual mission that they had in mind that they thought it was getting in the way of. It's not about your what, it's about your who. I was just one, just one quick example from the Bible is when Jesus healed the man's hand on, on the Sabbath. The Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus into this thing of saying, are you going to heal on the Sabbath? It just goes to show the patterns that we can get locked into, that it becomes far more about the what than the who. There was a man that had a withered hand in the, in the, in the church that day. Who knows how long he's, it doesn't say how old he was, but he had a lifetime of having possibly a hand that was withered. And the Pharisees were not wanting him to receive the life of God. The whole purpose of the Sabbath, even in the Old Testament, is to give honor and glory to God. The whole purpose of the Sabbath is to worship God. We have to break out of the, the, the things that we've seen or that we've, we've, we've heard, and we need to start healing the who that's right in front of us and not being so determined by the Sabbath is supposed to look like this. This is what, this is what home group looks like. When I, as a Christian, go to work, this is what it looks like. Oh, I'm busy. I got to go get to Bible study. Or it doesn't fit into our, into our parameters. If there's a who in front of you, my suggestion is that God wants you to outwork your purpose with that who. In whatever capacity that looks like. Who we are happens wherever we are, not just when we would like it to. I have just, just another quick example. Um, so I was talking with Angie, and she mentioned I could share it. But I'm, I'm going to try and give some more practical elements of what does this thing called purpose look like. So I mentioned Angie did the, the creative cool Mother's Day thing out there. Now, the sad thing would be that if she can do really cool things like that for the church and that for her, her sister-in-law's engagement party or for her kids' birthday parties, they were in shambles and they, they weren't... They weren't there was nothing cool done about them. So her, her creativity that buzzes out of her, it's not linked to just serving the church, but it comes out in every single aspect of where we are. 
my heart is heavy for people that worship God on a Sunday morning and that are very harsh with their kids or very harsh with their spouses or very... uh, There's compartmentalized religion because we don't understand that God is actually wanting us to work out our purpose with everyone all the time. There's no shortage of purpose. The only shortage is our perspective on what God is doing. The same thing with worship. Angie's a passionate worshiper. But I don't want her coming to church and leading worship if she's not leading her kids in worship or singing over her kids when they're sleeping or just creating an environment where God is glorified in our home. Can I encourage you this morning? Can we be set on fire? Can we allow ourselves to get excited that God is actually wanting to use us so much more than we could possibly even think? There's just, the thing that's in my heart more than anything is the amount of opportunities that we have. We're not, I'm even looking out at you guys right now. I see the opportunities even amongst each other, even in the way that you're sitting and who you're sitting next to. Have you thought about how can I outwork my purpose with the person right next to me? And I'm saying, maybe you're called to be a welcoming person. Make that person feel so welcome that they've never felt welcomed before. Don't disengage from the people that God is bringing you into contact with. Being faithful with what we've been given and being content with what we've been given. The last thing that I want to talk to is this. Is let's break down the who a little bit more. Because if everyone in your life you're supposed to work out your purpose with, which I believe... You could be really busy doing all sorts of things and depending upon how how intense you go with that. So I want to break down the who a little bit. You can't be everything to everyone. You can't be everything to everyone. And need is endless. Probably in every single one of our lives. Even if, if we chose one person, let's choose, we'll choose Isaac. If every single person in our congregation gave every single talent, gift, expression of who God's created them to be for Isaac, we probably still wouldn't make Isaac's life complete and perfect. Meaning there's always more need. And and, and every single one of us, if we gave them all the money in the world, all of our combined resources, all of our combined whatever, we can't complete people. If we go to a, a much more serious need, not just of a normal everyday person in New Zealand, but we look at a country and the need of Sudan or the need of any countries, the need is endless. We could give until we have nothing. We could sell everything and we would still not meet the need. My whole point is this, is that we need to be intentional with what needs we meet. We need to go after the who in our lives, but I don't think we're supposed to go after everyone with the same amount of ferocity and time. And I want to just talk about that just a little bit. I'm actually going to pull, I didn't tell Jen this, but I'm going to pull something from one of her Facebook posts recently. But how can we narrow, this is what she said, I'll read it in a second. How can we narrow down the who if everyone in our life is part of the who? How do we narrow it down? How do you start choosing who is who? So I want to read this. We're going to take a page out of business. Business success tip number one. Understand and define on paper your target market, your ideal clients. Who are they? What problems do they have? What solutions do you have to those problems? I want to make purpose so practical this morning. 
when I asked you to start thinking about who is your, what is your what? What is the dream that you have on your, on your heart? Or what is one of the purposes that you think God has birthed on your heart? Or what, what do you think you're called to do? I want you to start to identify a target market with that purpose. You need to put a who to it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack it just a little bit for you. So just for example, toy and board game companies like Hasbro or Mattel, I want to I tell you what the toy company's target market looks like. So they have a couple of things they need to consider. They have a balance between marketing to parents and children because they, they have to advertise so that children are interested in the toys, but it's the parents that are buying them, so they have to appeal to those parents that are going to buy them. And not only that, they don't just go for any adults. Their target market is adults of a certain age because younger adults typically don't have kids. And even if you go a step further, family with children typically live in suburban areas. So the target market of who they're pointing themselves to has now become really focused. Why, why are we even going here? I'm going here because we leave our purpose as this really nice idea somewhere, somewhere that we can come back to and get really excited and talk about every now and then, and then we leave it and go back to our normal, everyday, boring lives, and then we just want to come back and talk about this exciting thing every now and then, and it energizes us. But I want to submit to you a couple of things that the people in your everyday, boring lives are where God wants you to outwork those exciting ideas. But if you haven't identified what you're after and who you're after, you're probably going to miss those opportunities. Everyone can enjoy a kid's game, but there are people better suited for kids' games than others. I can go buy a kid's game, and, and me and my friends, we can go and enjoy it, and I'd probably have a good time. But the target market wouldn't be for me. Meaning this, you can outwork your purpose with everyone, but there's going to be people that are better suited for what God has created you to do with those people. So we're going to talk about time management a little bit. Is this, is this getting practical for us for outworking our purpose? Because... Purpose can seem like this really hard thing to, to link into, but purpose has a name. I, why I start to get excited, because if we can start locking in people that we're doing our purpose with, that's when change starts to happen. Change doesn't happen when we wish people really, really well. Change doesn't happen when we have really, really nice ideas. Change happens when we give our purpose a name. The level you can have influence in another person's life has a limit. It's all about how we use that limit. My question, well, one of my questions this morning is, how are you using your time with the people around you? So I wanted to use an example, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up with this example, but I want to make a statement that I'm not wanting to make a theology out of this. I just think this is, there's something really helpful in the example of how Jesus interacted with the people around him. So this is not like, this is not the rules of how you have to interact with the people around you. This is not the, the, the set structure of what you have to do. I'm just offering this as one suggestion to possibly start maximizing the way that you outwork your purpose with the who around you. So I want to start with the, the, the relationships that Jesus had. He had a number of levels of relationships of people that he outworked his purpose with or that he had influence over in their lives. So what's an obvious group of people that he had? The disciples. So he had, he had the 12 disciples. Were there any other obvious groups? The followers. So how many of that was that, Ron? 
Yeah, well, 5,000. Yeah, he had like the 5,000 that he fed. And I think, was that just men? So there's maybe women and children in there as well. So he had, he had different groups of people. He had the masses as well, like those people that he'd see maybe once every now and then. In the disciples, he also had some other groups. He had a one. Do you know who his one was? John. His, his one was John and the actual disciples. It, John, John titled himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That's a powerful, that's a powerful title. Another grouping that he had within his disciples was the three. Who were the three? Peter, John, and James. So I just, I want to talk about this a little bit. So I want to talk about the one, the three, your 12, your like 120, and then the masses. Because there's a principle here that I think is so important, not about excluding anyone, but it's just about focus with the purpose that you have. So we'll start with the one. I just want to give you the example. We're going to fly through these. John 19, 26 says this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, being John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And this is when Jesus was on the cross. He's about to die. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The one is the person that you trust with your mother. The one is that person, so I guess Bruce is my one, right? <laughs> the one, the one is that person that you're like, that, that is just that person that when you're dying, who's going to take care of the person that's nearest and dearest to you? That is a level of influence that we don't have with very many people. That is, and I would submit to you based on Jesus' example that in your life, there can only really be one, one, if you will. It's a level of influence of how much you outwork your purpose with that person. Now, I could go on into how John had such a significant relationship with Jesus, etc., but we're not going to unpack it. It's just to give you the sense of this principle that there's these different tiers of how you can outwork your purpose with people. The three. So what's the big story with the three that you probably immediately think of that they did separate from everyone else? The transfiguration. So I just wanted to read just a, a snippet of it. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as a light. Later on, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This group of three, Jesus shows them a side of himself that he didn't show anyone else. He showed them He showed his three this intimate side of who he was that not even the other disciples got to experience. Jesus said, tell no one of what happened. My point is this with the three. There's there's this level of interaction where you're going to share everything with these people. They're going to be able to see you in the fullness of who you are. There's this level that you can go to and outwork your purposes do you think Peter, John's and Peter, John, and James had a deeper revelation of who Jesus was and had a greater understanding of the purpose of what Jesus came to do? I absolutely think so. Different levels. The next is the 12. They walked alongside daily. They were hand-chosen by Jesus. The, and, and these are the guys, the 12 were the guys that he was asking to carry on the mission with him. He sent them out. He sent them out in groups as well. These are the guys walking daily and going on the mission with Jesus. But I want to point out something. Because I don't want us to think that we get to choose a super team of only people that we like. And if I don't like you, I'm not going to work out my purpose with you. You know, 
That's not at all what I'm saying, because who were some of the members of Jesus' disciples? We had Judas, and who else? Thomas. We had people that doubted him and people that were actively trying to undo what he was doing. But Jesus still chose to walk alongside them. Iron sharpens iron, and it's not just choosing a cookie-cutter group of people that you outwork your purpose with, but the 12. I want us to think a little bit of what am I even saying, and I'm going to unpack it in a second, but the 12 is, is there a group of people that you are on mission with? And that's, this isn't the masses. This is a group of 12. Is there a group of people that you've connected with, and you're all on the same mission? You're going after something. You can outwork your purpose in different levels. And very quickly, the last two pieces. There's 120. That, and, and the 120, I'm just getting that number. That's not a real number. It's just part of the company that was in Acts. So right after Jesus ascended, there was only 120 people in the upper room, if you will, that were kind of waiting on the Holy Spirit to do his thing. And, that's, and that number can be expanded even up to the 5,000 that Ron said earlier of people that were really actively engaged in where Jesus was. And then there's the masses, the people that you see just kind of, maybe that's the strangers in our lives, the people that we're acquaintances with that we don't see very often. What is the whole point of knowing this scale? Jesus didn't come and outwork. Here, let me say this. I think that many times us as Christians think that we outwork our purpose with the masses. I think we think it's going to be somebody somewhere, maybe some stranger that we can pray for where we're going to outwork our purpose. I would suggest that that has crippled us as far as being effective to outwork the purpose that God has put on every single one of our lives. If you have a one, somebody that you would trust your mother with, you have a three, people that you would let in that you wouldn't let anyone else to. You have a 12, people that you're on mission with. You have the people, the next level up where they, they, they understand and you're able to outwork your purpose with them in a greater level. And then you have the masses. And the masses, is, it's no less significant. So I'm not, I'm not wanting to say that that's less. Like the masses would be the, the lady that grabbed Jesus, the hem of his, his garment, right? And she was healed from blood. It, the Bible doesn't talk about her again, but her interaction with Jesus and the way that he outworked his purpose with her was so significant. I'm not saying that those interactions are any less significant. What I am saying is, how are you maximizing your time to outwork your purpose with the people that are in your life? And I think this model of the level of influence that Jesus utilized to outwork his purpose is insightful. Who is your one? Who is your three? And who is your twelve? I personally think that as Christians, we often will get to a 12 and we feel pretty comfortable that we're on the same kind of mission with these group of guys or this group of people. But I think the missing out on the three and the one misses out on Peter was the guy who had left in charge of the church. John was the guy that he, he got the book of Revelation, this powerful thing of telling us where, where Jesus is going to go. I just think there is such gold and digging deeper with how we outwork our purpose. It's not just meant for the masses. It's not just meant for someone else somewhere. But what God has called you to do, he hasn't given you a wife and kids so that they can be the byproduct of whatever else is left over after you've given everything at work. He hasn't put you in your workplace so that you can get through the day to go watch TV at the end of the day. He hasn't given you parents so that you can, you can just get through the interactions with them. The people that are in your life are who God wants you to engage your purpose with. But be intentional with how you use your time. 
If someone is supposed to be part of the masses, you might want to reevaluate the time and the resources that they're taking from you if they're taking the resources of somebody that's maybe a 12 that you're on mission with. You shouldn't be engaging with someone that's from the masses and giving them all of your time and all of your energy and all of your resources. And that's what I think the Christian church has done today is we give all of our time to the masses. So we give a little bit of time here, but we don't have deep relationship. And you spread all your time away so you don't have time to get to that deeper level. I hope that you're encouraged this morning to go after the purposes of God in your life. I don't think we have to leave it as this idea, as this nice pie in the sky idea. I think we can go after the who in your life right now. And the who is probably sitting next to you. It's probably waiting for you at home. It's waiting for you tomorrow morning. We have such an exciting life ahead of us. But we have to understand that it's, we're not getting through these people so we can get to these people. It's the people right in front of you that God wants you to work out your purpose with. Your purpose has a name. And the name is your wife. It's your kids. It's your parents. It's your coworkers. It's your home group. Amen?